In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Rachel Donnelly is our guest this week on Money Tales. When she was a young adult, Rachel's mom was diagnosed with cancer and passed away a couple of weeks later. Rachel's dad had previously died, so along with dealing with the shock and emotions, Rachel was probating her mom's estate. She was also stepping into her mother's shoes by taking care of her uncle, who was in the later stages of Parkinson's disease. This meant even more logistics of getting the power of attorney, healthcare proxy, and other legal documents in place for her uncle. Rachel tells us she remembers standing in the parking lot of a bank after trying to set up an estate banking account when her uncle died and wondering why wasn't someone available to help her manage this incredible dumpster fire. This got Rachel's entrepreneurial blood flowing and inspired her to start a business. Today, Rachel operates Afterlight, a consulting firm she founded for clients to offload the administrative tasks that come with legacy planning and after loss, so clients can focus less on the logistics and more on creating space to live worry-free and grieve peacefully. Rachel is also the co-founder of Professionals of After Loss Services, which is a training and support network for industry professionals who provide services to individuals and families after the loss of a loved one. Here are three key topics Rachel hits on in this conversation. First, how important it is to pay yourself when you're an entrepreneur. The business isn't sustainable if you're working for free. Second, the concept of legacy is very personal. For some people, it can be heavy, and for others, it's very light. Regardless, legacy often goes beyond the financial resources and involves relationships and values. And third, if you owe or own, you have an estate and there's planning to do. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Rachel Donnelly. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, I have been reflecting on a meeting that I had yesterday with clients that I've had the pleasure of working with for over 20 years. Oh, those long relationships are so special. Oh my gosh, so special. We've gone through so many life events together. And this is the first time that we met in person since the pandemic started. So there's mm. been lots of Zoom meetings and we were trying to get together in person sooner, but it finally happened. And it was really wonderful. We had some deep and important money conversations as we reflect on work we've been doing to help them plan for the rising generations of their family, who we also have the pleasure of working with. 
More importantly than that, the thing that I was reflecting on was how well we've gotten to understand who they are, what's most important to them and what they're trying to achieve. Because in the meeting, we're just off to the races. We know exactly what they want to talk about. We're able to answer their questions before they even ask the questions. And they just shared how much peace of mind that that has given them. And it was really fulfilling to hear and also just wonderful to bask in the trust that they've allowed us to create with them over the decades. Oh, Sandy, that sounds really special. It was it was rewarding. I really yeah. love the work I do. I'm so <laughs> lucky to do it, especially uh, with the clients I get to work with. Even though listeners can't see you smile, I think they could hear that that smile and that love. So it's so great. Well, let's introduce our Money Tales guest today, Rachel Donnelly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Cami and Sandy, for having me. Please provide an introduction and in so share those two or three really life-changing events that have impacted yeah, you, if you don't yeah, mind. Absolutely. Well, my name is Rachel Donnelly. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I am the founder and CEO of Afterlight, which is formerly Black Dress Consultants. I live in Atlanta, grew up in Georgia, grew up in a small town of Hampton, Georgia, which is uh, the south side of Atlanta middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother, Mayberry sort of lifestyle. My father was the family physician in town, recruited there by the Rural Health Loan Repayment Program. So my mother was a librarian, but went to work for my father's solo practice. Um, Grew up accompanying him on house calls, rounds at the hospital. So became very accustomed to leaning into hard spaces and very comfortable around the natural transitions of life. My father got sick when I was 13, was diagnosed with cancer, passed away when I was 16. And then I had already lost all of my grandparents by then. And I went on to go to college, Agnes Scott College, which is a private women's college in Decatur, Georgia, fell into a career of higher ed fundraising. One of the most fortunate cliches of my life was that despite my mother's warning, I did marry my high school sweetheart. She (laughs) loved him, but she always told me, never marry anybody you went to high school with. It's almost like she was setting you up to do that. (laughs) She was, I know, she was a spitfire. And we continued, my husband and I continued our careers, had two beautiful children, and now live down the street from Agnes Scott, where I went to college. 10 years ago, we had moved in a new home I just started a brand new job that I was super excited about. The week I started, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and passed away a couple of weeks after that. Very unfortunate timing. I had no time off the first 90 days of that, that role. And then I was thrust into a world of probating my mom's estate and now taking care of her brother, my uncle, who was in latter stages of Parkinson's disease and lived out of state so assumed, you know, power of attorney, health care, proxy, all of those things. This forced me to have to like baptism by fire sure? in terms of probate, all of the important estate planning documents, mechanism, strategy that you needed to learn. I had to sell my family's home, which had been in our family since 1890, clean out that home, mm. including 
you know, newspaper clippings from, you know, (laughs) generations. And so then I, you know, really struggle, as you can imagine, to manage all of those logistics of, of after loss and death and dying. Uh, and I remember distinctly standing in the parking lot of a bank after trying to set up an estate banking account after my uncle had passed away and I became his executor and thinking, why isn't there someone to help me manage this incredible dumpster fire? And I decided to create a project management style business to help families manage the unavoidable logistics of after loss. That's when the original Black Dress Consultants was born, which is now transitioned to Afterlight. Wow, Rachel, that's that's unbelievable. It's a lot to go through at a young age. And I'm, you know, obviously we're all sorry about all that loss. Thank you. And all that learning that comes with it. Tell us. Let's go back in time. What are some eye-opening childhood memories you have around money? My father was a military family, very poor. So even though he was a physician, he was sort of very intentional and sort of a scarcity mindset of making sure that we had enough money. He was always afraid, ironically, you know, that he was going to pass away early. And so he wanted to do as much as he could to really build wealth. But, you know, even with that, even with having a physician as a father, people make all these assumptions. It's a lot of money to run a business and especially as a solo practitioner. So a lot of those, the circumstances, those unavoidable things that you have to pay for as, as a business owner were really drilled into me. You know, my, my parents really taught me don't ever rely on the government. Social security will probably not be around when when you're an adult. I started my first Roth IRA when I was 19. And my mom was, you know, a youngish widow. My dad died when he was 48. So, you know, I was very much, we, we thought she had a long runway. So thinking of that, of how is she going to support herself now that my father's business was gone? She was very intentional and worried about getting the best price she could for selling my father's practice and sort of creating that that piggy bank, for lack of better words, you know, to sustain her. Um, those were very impactful moments of my life. She really worked hard to leverage as much social security benefits. My father was a veteran, so veterans administration benefits to help pay for life, college. So that started your learning, really. Yeah, absolutely. So Rachel, can you say more about how your family money conversation shifted when your dad died? I mean, there was just a lot of uncertainty. You know, I really didn't know how I was going to pay for college or how my mom was going to pay for college. Of course, I was very worried about making sure she, you know, had money to support herself. But it was, I think it became, you know... I sort of grew into that scarcity mindset of, oh my goodness, you you never think your parents are going to die when you're when you're that age, when you're a teenager. And so when they do, it's very much of a rude awakening of this can very much happen. Thankfully, my father had life insurance. So, you know, it was a lot of those things that I put in the back of my brain that I wanted to make sure I had in place once I was married and had a family. So, you know, a lot of, 
a lot of scary life lessons that really set you up uh, for planning down the road. Yeah, it's a little intense. Yeah. You know, just yeah. hearing you talk about it. And I'm curious when you're learning these things from your mom and, and you know, concerned for her financial well being, was she open to having money conversations with you? She was, she was, you know, and thankfully she involved us. Uh, she worked with a financial advisor who had known my father and worked with him after he passed away. And that's who I worked with when I started my first Roth IRA at age 19. So she was very, you know, open to talking about it, but, um, you know, very much instilled in me that I needed to get out and make my own way. And I did as much as I could to, to earn scholarship dollars. I got a scholarship to go to Agnes Scott. So trying to really work, work myself, work my butt off to make sure <laughs> that she could save as much money as possible. But yes, it was, she was very open and talking about that. Tell us more about how these money learnings at such a young age factored into your life as you're moving through college and thinking about your career. Yeah, I was very, I'd say, probably worried. I was so worried about being able to get a job after college. And I probably, I definitely did not have a traditional college experience. You know, my father had just died when I went on to college. I was scared of going away too far from family, from my mom and leaving her. So it was not, I'd say, a very positive lens that I had. I was not looking through rose-colored glasses uh, sort of made me a little bit of a cynic, I'd say, and and um, very worried. You know, I wanted to make sure I was positioning myself for a job after I got out of school. And so it wasn't just I laid around, you know, went to Cabo and um, mm-hmm. did all the normal college things, worked every summer, you know, it was something that was very, very looking back. I was like, wow, it was a little bit intense back then. So. You're, you're focused on money, it sounds like. Yeah, I was. I was very much focused on that and making sure I got a good job and would be able to have health insurance and all the things and retirement. I was don't know why I was so focused on having a retirement fund as a young adult. That's kind of bizarre. What do you think about it? You learned <laughs> some really tough lessons, right? So you yeah. were thinking about all these things. Tell us today, what is your money mindset? Is it still one of scarcity? No, I'd say I have a much healthier relationship. My husband and I are, he takes care of a lot of the finances, pays the bills. He thinks that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world (laughs) and is trying to teach our kids this. So he is very much into investing and being smart, proactive, intentional with money and manages a lot of our portfolios. And since I have, you know, inherited to, IRAs from both my mother and my uncle, making sure that we are planning accordingly to make that last and be responsible. And, you know, with the CARES Act now in place, you know, making sure that we're planning ahead so that our kids wouldn't be shoulder with that should I die at a young age, Mm. uh, like my father. So much different mindset these days. Being a small business owner, my goodness, that will change your look at money in a whole new way. When you have a paid job as a career, you're like, oh, you know, you're getting that monthly paycheck. The first distribution I took as a small business owner, it was the hardest 
money I felt like I had ever worked for in my entire life. I was so proud of it. I was like, look, honey, Mm -hmm. I just made money and put it in our checking accounts. (laughs) And being a bootstrap small business, man, you have a whole new appreciation. Isn't that funny? The feeling around money, how it can change when you're really rolling up your sleeves and taking risk. Well, yeah, because when you have a W-2 job and you're getting that expected salary, you're like, I'll just get more next month. It's going to come. But when you're a small business owner and a service provider, there is that scarcity mindset of got to get the next client, next client, next client. So you work harder than you've ever worked in your life, in my opinion. Rachel, how are you making money decisions in your business initially? You know, just coming straight out of a W-2 type job and never having done this before. My husband and I had a very long talk and a very, I had a very much of a come to Jesus with him. I was doing this as a side hustle for the first year and it just became unsustainable. So we did set aside some money. We created sort of a, not a slush fund, but money that we calculated would take us through till I started taking, you know, a distribution. But I kept this spreadsheet of, okay, what is every single dollar that's coming out of my business a month? And can I get rid of that $4.99 app subscription or what have you? And I also started listening to as many podcasts and adopting sort of a profit first model of using my bank account to create reserve accounts so that, you know, to set aside money for taxes and, and growth and rainy day. And I used Jamie Troll. She's a small business financial uh, coach. I really am trying to be as intentional and strategic as possible and being bootstrapping, no debt, not taking on any investors and, you know, just being smart. It sounds very ambitious. I'm curious, what led you to make that first distribution? How did you know you were ready to do that? You know, I I read all of these books, podcasts, and they really stressed the importance of paying yourself. And it sounds indulgent, but I think you have to, if you've got, even even if it's small, even if it's $1,000 a month, it's $2,000 a month, you've got to make that commitment to yourself to really understand the sustainability of that business and really making it work as if not, if you're working for nothing at some point, you're going to burn out. So like I said, it does sound indulgent. And sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, should I really take a distribution this month? But I'm like, nope, I have to, I've got to for my own sanity. <laughs> Mitchell, you are a lifelong learner. You you read books, you listen to podcasts, you're sharing that when you went through this time and you know, you're in your 20s when you lost your mom, how were you learning at the time? And were you having conversations with people about all these money questions you had? I'm so much fun at a party. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk to me about end of life and death and <laughs> I'm putting the fun in funeral. I mean, like I am so much fun at a party. I'm kidding. Of course, I was the first of all my friends. I'm still the first of all my friends to lost her parents. And have gone through all of these life transitions. So I... Are you on speed dial when someone loses someone? Oh my God. I'm like, I haven't heard from you in a while who died. I'm very much sort of obsessed with like the right way to do things. That has not served me well in a lot of things. But I did try to absorb as much as I could reading the executor's guide 
just really trying to understand what the role of being a fiduciary. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I've used that to scare the living daylights out of my friends of talk to your parents now. It is no fun. It is no bueno, but you need to. So I use it as my soapbox to talk to as many people. And I've used all those lessons learned to create what I've trademarked as the legacy building formula that I use to walk clients through all those pivotal decisions that they haven't thought about or are uncomfortable thinking about. So I am very much like, yes, let's talk about death, baby. Well, that's great. You're highlighting the importance of having all of these important conversations where money is woven into them in all different phases of life, which we can agree with more. And I'm curious, Rachel, you just mentioned the word legacy. And I think when when we talk about legacy with clients, that it always is interesting to me to understand what legacy means to them because yeah. it's, it's a common word, but it can be really heavy or it can be really light. It, it just sort of depends. Yeah. It's like this very ethereal, esoteric word. And you're like, what does that mean? I was very intentional in not using the word estate, estate planning, because I'm not an attorney. And I think the word estate, people are like, I don't have money. I don't have an estate. And I'm like, okay, well, you do. If you owe or own, you have an estate. But with legacy, from what I learned and what I've lost, is it's so much more than your money and what you, the property and your humble figurine collection. It's the essence of you. It's the traditions that you're passing on. It's the recipes that have been passed down in your family that you want to make sure go on and are shared and the reason behind things. So that to me is what legacy is. And I think it's thrown a lot, a lot, and you can assign your own meaning to it. But I try to put it in a certain framework to help people really understand the importance of comprehensive, holistic planning. It's not just signing a will, getting a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy and one and done. It is so much more comprehensive than that. And there's a strategy, I believe, of legacy planning and not just clicking off the, you know, the check marks. I appreciate what you're bringing to light here, which is about the importance of relationships and meaning and values and how that's really what legacy is about. And our mutual friend, Cindy Arledge, talked about that when she was on Money Tales too. Oh my God, I love Cindy. She's fantastic. Tell us, Rachel, when you're talking with your husband about money, how does it feel? Now, I'll be honest, it is it is harder now that I am, you know, I am a small business owner, but we try to have financial Fridays, as we call it. We try to do it once a week. It doesn't happen all then, but to sit down and look at our budget, to review our budget, to really, you know, talk about some of our goals for the year. And we were like, oh, why didn't we have any money last year? Oh, we took a lot of trips. So Definitely trying to be more intentional and more strategic and not assign blame. I mean, that's what happens. Well, you did this, so I I can do this. It's this sort of tit for tat mentality that which husbands, spouses, wives can really get easily into that 
that sort of relationship. So really trying to, all right, let's take a step back. Let's not do this tit for tat. And let's really talk about how we can buckle up on our expenses or, you know, or things like that. Do you feel, Rachel, as you reflect upon the time in which you've been running your business, that the work you do impacts these conversations you're having with your husband on Financial Friday? Oh, 1000%. I mean, every day, my husband is my biggest supporter, my biggest cheerleader and has so many, I call him my CTO because we, we talk all day and you know, I'll come downstairs. My office is upstairs. His is downstairs. We both work from home. And I'll say, listen to what just happened. And look at, listen to this dumpster fire that this poor person has inherited as a, you know, and so we're always thinking, okay, well, how could we make sure that that doesn't happen, you know, to our family or so I'm always looking through that lens to make sure that we prevent all those, I call them dumpster fires. Only you can prevent a dumpster fire when it comes to to your own death. So I try to use that lens in our own conversations. Rachel, are you having money conversations with your kids? Yes, my husband. And I talk to my kids. I'm like, do you ever want to work for me? Do you ever want to inherit this business? Do you want, uh, my husband bought kids this book about, you know, investment and compound interest. and. <laughs> That's a real page turner. But uh, yes, we are very much having conversations with our kids. Tell us about them. Oh my goodness. Um, we've talked to them about, you know, the money that I inherited through my, from my mother and from my uncle and what responsibility and privilege that has been, although they're both retirement funds. So it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> utilizing those um, and the, you know, the importance of a, of a dollar. We've gotten our kids these, those green light cards so that they can look at the apps on their phone and, you know, set aside money and see what's coming in, what's coming out. So it's not just this never ending piggy bank, you know, of money. And, you know, I talk a lot about my business in front of them strategically for them to understand those pain points of, you know, how hard it is, how hard you have to work as an adult. And we talk about food and how expensive food is these days. And my kids are like, my daughter the other day wanted to get one of those bubble teas. And she's like, it's $6.95. That's insane. And so <laughs> they, they understand. Recently, my son was, uh, his club soccer team was going to Spain. Uh, they're wow. going to Spain this summer. And we sat down with him and we said, you know, do you want to go? How badly do you want to go? Because it's going to cost at least, you know, it's 3000 or the, the camp will be at least, you know, 15 to 2000, 1500 to 2000 for the plane ticket. And he was like, I, I don't want to spend that much money. And I was like, okie dokie, you know, what a powerful gift to give him. Do you know the numbers and yeah. be able to make a decision yeah. that feels right to him? Yeah. And I was like, you know, you may have some FOMO, but that's okay. We don't, I don't want us to make this decision because of FOMO. I want to make, we would make this decision based on, is it really advantageous for him to go? Great modeling, Rachel. You've mentioned in this conversation a couple of times, the retirement plans you inherited from your mom and from your uncle. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious Mm -hmm. that those seem like meaningful inheritances to you. Yeah, And I'm wondering if you would share with us 
What drives that meaning? Even though my my mom worked for my my dad and he built a business from scratch. He went to medical school when he was in his his thirties. I was actually born when he was in medical school, his first biochem exam, and he flunked it because I was born um, that day. Sorry, Zelda, <laughs> uh, but it was so important for my dad to build generational wealth and to give his family a totally different experience than he had growing up. My mom was, of course, completely on the same same track with that. Uh, So it's very much this double-edged sword of what I wouldn't give to have my parents around today and for them to have a relationship with my kids, with my husband. So it's very much a bittersweet type of circumstance to have this money that will hopefully help down the road when I do retire, but what I wouldn't give to not have it and have them physically, physically here. Thanks for sharing that, Rachel. Tell us what it's like to have money conversations with your clients. Well, you know, I really try to use it through several things. So, you know, I help clients both what I call legacy planning and then after loss consulting. So when I'm working with clients on legacy planning, one of the key exercises we go through is making sure their beneficiaries are up to date. You know, are they being strategic around their banking accounts? Does it have, you know, a POD or TOD, payable on death, transfer on death designation? And then also looking at all of their other assets, their digital assets, you know, because it can not only be your financial accounts, your banking accounts, um, but exchange value accounts and that there is real live value to those things and making sure uh, they're being, like I said, intentional around planning ahead so that those don't get lost, forgotten, or just, you know, not known about. What does that mean? Like airline miles, ah. Amazon points. You know, you could have, you know, like I said, anything where you, there's an exchange value to to that. Yeah, people often forget and overlook that and totally forget about it. So, and if you've bought all of these movies through your Amazon Prime account, are they just going to magically go poof after you're gone? Mm. And, you know, the number of accounts that people don't know about that are out there. I can't tell you the time that I've worked with a client after they've lost a loved one and I've helped to find a life insurance policy they didn't know about. Yeah. Um, or unclaimed property that's sitting out there. You're a private investigator. This is great for for missing assets. We call ourselves empathetic detectives. That's what we call ourselves as after loss professionals. Yeah, so I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, I've tried to put that lens up. You know, I'm working with a, a sweet just widow right now. She's a teacher and... We went through everything after her husband died. And I was like, okay, I think you're going to be good. From what you're telling me, it doesn't sound like you're going to need to go through the probate process because everything was titled correctly. And then she's like, oh, he had one. Oh, he had the checking account that didn't have a TOD or POD. And it was above the threshold in the state of Georgia where a surviving spouse could go in and claim it. 
So now for a $30,000 checking account, she's going to have to go through probate. And so I'm like, oh, there just kills me. It just bothers me. And so she's like, all right, lesson learned. I'm like, I'm going to get my stuff in order so that this doesn't happen down the road after I'm gone. Well, those are really important things. You got to stay on top of um, all those things, beneficiary designations, what happens if something happens to you, whether it's death or incapacity. Absolutely. And then, you know, always look, talk to people about price checking your funeral and your end of life. You don't have to, to, you know, you can shop around Mm -hmm. for a casket or for an urn. What's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? Continuing to talk to my clients about the importance of strategy, of planning ahead, not just for the traditional assets, but for those those other things that they don't they don't think about. So trying to use my soapbox and my experience to add that lens of, of planning ahead in those blind spots, those gaps that they may not have thought about. Oh, Rachel, that's so important. Tell us where, if our listeners want to find you, where could they find you? Yes, you can find me at myafterlight.com on Instagram at myafterlight on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the things. So reach out to me on myafterlight.com if you want to learn more about our services and how we can help. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for that. Wishing you continued success with Afterlight. And thank you for sharing so much with us on Money Tales. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.